Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Hope you're doing well. Today is July the 16th, Thursday, I believe, and uh, we are continuing to work our way through um, the book of Acts. And um, I just encourage you to, uh, every day I try to get on here for about 15, 20 minutes. It started out as 10, 15, but <laughs> usually ends up being about 15, 20 minutes, just uh, working our way through the book, um, Monday through Friday. And then on um, Sunday mornings at nine o'clock, uh, we put it all together and go back and do the teaching, review everything that we've taught through the previous week. So uh, good morning, uh, Dino, Norma. Hope you guys are doing well. God bless you, my friends from Texas. Um, let's see. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, computers, electronic devices, whatever you have. Um, I still like to do my my daily reading from a Bible, a handheld, you know, Bible. I love the feel of it. I love to be able to move the ribbon markers as I read through, uh, but all my study now is pretty much on uh, electronic on my laptop. And when I teach, I've learned how to teach using a, an iPad, even though I will take a copy of the scriptures with me, hard, you know, hard copy to the script of the scripture with me into the pulpit. Normally all my notes and everything is going back and forth on electronic. So um, I enjoy that. You know, of course, all the young people, that's all they use. So, but uh, let's look in Acts chapter number 11. We wrapped up chapter number 11 the other day on the 14th. And uh, we see these, these, these verses here. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And remember, we had been talking about how that the book of Acts must be reviewed, must be viewed as a, a book of transition and I failed to see this early on in my ministry I just I've taught through Acts um, matter of fact the books that I probably taught through more than anything else is Genesis Daniel Acts and Revelation um, and yet I, I've never come to grasp with the significance of the book of Acts until just the last year or so, realizing that it is a book of transition and that if, if, if the book is viewed that way uh, as a transition from Peter to Paul, as a transition from Jerusalem to Antioch, a Jewish church to a Gentile church, an apostle Peter called only to Jews an apostle Paul called only to Gentiles. Um, it answers a lot of questions, a lot of questions. So many scriptures that I have tiptoed around. I have tried to force to make sense, makes perfect sense when you understand who wrote them and who they wrote them to. Um, good morning, Scott. God bless you, brother. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are written by Jews to Jews. Um, 
the Hebrew epistles, Hebrews through Revelation, are written by Jews to Jews. Uh, it's written by uh, the apostles to the Jewish nation. The uniqueness of Pauline writings is that Paul was called to the Gentiles, and Paul's letters are to the Gentiles. Uh, and when you come to understand that, <clears throat> the contradictions begin to disappear. Uh, when you come to understand that the Gospels, every single word in the Gospels, is addressed to the nation of Israel that was still living very much under the law, that was still participating in temple worship, synagogue worship, uh, uh, that was still looking forward to a Messiah and a kingdom. Um, when you understand that, and when you understand Hebrews through Revelation, same thing, um, the contradictions begin to disappear. And you don't start, you, you stop using language like enduring to the end. Um, you stop questioning uh, things like losing your salvation or work salvation because you realize who was writing and who they were writing to. If it was one of the 12, they were writing to the nation of Israel, still very much under the law, still very much kingdom gospel work salvation. So naturally, when you read the book of James, it says exactly what it says. And you don't have to try to justify it. It means what it says and says what it means. So anyway, I, I hope you've enjoyed this journey. I, I'm working along myself and I do not claim to have all the answers at all. The more answers I come up with, the more questions I find. So, um, so here we see in those days came <clears throat> prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there would be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So here we find... Um, the church in Antioch, a predominantly Gentile church, sending money to the church in Jerusalem, which is all Jewish uh, church. Uh, and of course, they're doing this because back in Acts chapter number four, every man sold what he had and gave as each had need. Of course, that led to the, to the selection of those, those, those deacons in Acts chapter number six. And of course, those monies begin to run out. Uh, those um, uh, things that were brought were beginning to run out because <clears throat> time had gone on longer than anybody expected it to go. They did so in anticipation of the nation repenting and the Lord returning. And it didn't happen. I mean, they knew math. They knew Daniel 9. They knew they were at 483 weeks. <laughs> mathematically they only had seven to go so they sold everything as each man had need and they began to divvy all that stuff out but then time went on and um, the funds were gone uh, so now the other churches the gentile churches here are having to help the brothers back 
in Jerusalem. So as we finish uh, chapter number 11, we have seen the stoning of Stephen in chapter number 8. We have been introduced to Saul and his conversion in chapter number 9. Uh, he ends up fleeing for his life, where he ends up three years in Arabia. Uh, and of course, um, uh, many people believe this is where he received the revelation of the mystery, which is the, the body of Christ of 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 that you and I are a part of today. Uh, he being the first convert into the body of Christ. Um, so he received that mystery either during that three year um, time in Arabia or shortly thereafter. I believe it was shortly thereafter because he then went to see Peter and he didn't say anything about it. Uh, and again, I mean, it still could have been cooking and he just didn't feel led of the Lord to share it with Peter. I don't know, you know, but most people will say he received it sometime in that three year time in Arabia or shortly thereafter. We've also seen Peter going to Cornelius house in chapter number 11, um, which was a revelation to him that salvation had indeed come to the Gentiles, even though Peter still had did not understand it, and Peter turned right around and went back to Jerusalem and continued to preach the kingdom gospel. Um, then the church in Jerusalem sends out Barnabas to find Saul, and he takes Saul to Antioch, and presumably in Antioch, he begins to teach this new gospel of grace. Um, and again, I mean, nowhere in the book of Acts does it say, and Paul received this here, and Paul started preaching this here. I wish it did, but it doesn't. But we do know by the time we end up in chapter number 15, Paul and Barnabas are back in Jerusalem explaining this gospel of grace uh, to the apostles at the council in Jerusalem. And then chapter number 12 um, is, is um, it, it, it moves away from Paul again and moves back to Jerusalem, the death of Herod and Peter. Uh, this entire chapter occurs in 44 AD. We know that based upon the date of Herod Agrippa's death. Um, and again, when it refers to Herod the king, it is a reference to Herod Agrippa I, who was the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, notice um, in, uh, in verse number one and two. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, with the exception of Judas, who had taken his own life previously, this is the death of the first apostle, um, James. From now on, the only James that will be referred to is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And then notice in verse number three, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in the prison and delivered him to four quaternarians um, of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth uh, unto the people. So Herod, just like the political leaders of our day, they... They put the finger up and see which way the winds are blowing. And he knew he needed the Jews to be on 
his side, and uh, the Jews were offended by those of the way, which was, again, they were not called Christians. They were, they were still a sect of Judaism, if you will. They were still very much Jews. It was still considered to be Judaism. Understand, Jesus was just the fulfillment of Judaism. Uh, they didn't intend to break uh, they were very much Jews. They were still doing temple worship. They were still participating in the activities at the synagogues, the apostles themselves. Um, but he was trying to appease his base, and it was the Days of Unleavened Bread, which is a reference to Passover, which was a seven-day period. And again, many have um, attempted to make a big deal out of the, the word Easter here in this verse by saying that it's a pagan reference to the goddess Ishtarte or Ishtar, who was known as the mother of heaven that's talked about in uh, the book of Jeremiah. Um, you know, the mother of Nimrod, Semiramis. If you've never done, if you've never studied all that, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, but the Greek word, if you, you study that, is Pasqua, which means Passover. Uh, it also comes over from the German word into our English translation, Oester, which means east, which points to the rising of the Lord from the dead. Um, so I, I see no problem with the word. I don't think it's paganized. I think it was, um, um, I'm trying to think of the first guy that did, I, I think it was Coverdale. I'm not sure which one it was that first used that word Easter in his translation, but of course it ended up being um, put into our English Bible. So I don't think that word is, is such a, a big deal is all I'm saying. Uh, now notice in uh, verse number five, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and the keepers before the door of the prison. Now, Peter was obviously being guarded for execution. And when it talks about the quaternarians up here, uh, literally, uh, he had a guard on each side and two guards at the door. Okay, guarding him because he was going up for execution the next morning. And then notice in verse <clears throat> number seven, And behold, an angel of the Lord came unto him, and the light shineth in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, Peter, and his chains fell off from his hands. Obviously, God still had a plan for Peter. Uh, he had a council in Jerusalem that he needed to participate in, paid in. And also God had already told Peter how he was going to die. Um, <clears throat> he was going to be led where he did not want to go when he grew older. You remember <clears throat> that was some of the, <clears throat> some of the last words that our Lord spake to Peter. So this was not the way Peter was going to die. When I was in the military, I would call my grandmother sometimes, um, and she would always say this quote, you're immortal until God is through with you. Um, and that's true. I was just talking to a couple yesterday here in Lynchburg about that, how we're immortal. We were talking about the coronavirus and everybody's so afraid. And, they're, and they were just kind of disappointed that so many churches are, are, are shut down. And, you know, they kind of equated that with a lack of faith. 
on the part of believers and um, you know you know we all have our different opinions on that uh, but um, you know I quoted that you're immortal until God's through with you <clears throat> it'll change your life when you see life through that lens uh, God knows when you're gonna go he knows how you're gonna go <laughs> so you just need to be obedient <clears throat> doesn't mean do anything stupid it just means to be obedient to what God's called you to and trust him with it now notice in verse number eight and the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he was in a vision. So in other words, the entire time, Peter thought that he was actually seeing a vision. Uh, he didn't. Um, he was back in uh, Acts chapter number 10. You remember when he saw the vision of the, the sheep come down with the clean and unclean food? He thought it, he thought it was a vision. And, you know, you've had those kind of experiences where you don't know if you're awake or if you're asleep. Um, you know, kind of like most of us are before we've had our first cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, so, you know, the angel literally just kind of, you know, uh, kicks him and says, hey, you know, get up, put your sandals on. Uh, put your garment around you and follow me. And Peter got up and he followed him. And then in verse number 10, and when they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from them. So again, God still had tremendous plans for Peter. And then notice, and when Peter was come to himself, in other words, he was fully awake, he realized this was not a dream, this was really happening. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. In other words, they were going, they expected me to die. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she saw Peter's, when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad, but she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, well, it is his angel. <laughs> but Peter continued knocking, and when they oh, it had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So I am sure that this was a story that was shared for many years to come <laughs> with laughter. The fact that Peter had been delivered, they were praying for his deliverance, he knocks on the door and they don't even believe that it's him. Um, it's interesting that word, he beckoned with his hand for them to hold his peace. Uh, I, I looked that up because I actually see it several times in the scripture. Uh, the term beckon means to use a physical gesture. In this case and others, it seems to be, you know, just waving the hands 
to get the audience's attention. You know, uh, you've seen that before, just a beckoning of the hand. And I, I've, I think I saw that like uh, four times in the New Testament where there was a beckoning of the hand for them to hold their peace. Um, in verse number 18, now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. I bet, because uh, the penalty for losing a prisoner was life for life in the Roman legion. Um, so uh, these men were going to pay for Peter's escape with their own lives. You know, interestingly, uh, the same rule should have been applied to the guards uh, who were guarding the tomb of Jesus. Uh, they were sent there to guard that body. Um, and we're told in uh, Matthew 27, 62, now the next day, that following day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together in the pilot and said, sir, we remember that the deceiver said, referring to Jesus, while he was yet alive, after three days, I'll rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he's risen from the dead and the last error be worse than the first. And Pilate said unto them, ye have your watch, go your way, make it sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, still stealing the stone and setting the watch. They didn't want Jesus to... I mean, they wasn't thinking about him rising from the dead. They thought he was an imposter. Remember, the Bible says that they did it in ignorance. They really did think Jesus was an imposter. Um, so they said his, his disciples, his followers are going to come and steal his body. So we need to put a guard on this thing so that they can't do it. Um, and then we see over in Matthew 28, 11 through 15. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. So this is after Jesus rose from the dead. He saw the ladies on the road. And now we, we see these guys um, coming in, um, you know, and they admitted that the body, that it was gone. And, and then in Matthew 28, 11, now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done, referring to the guards. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a large money to the soldiers saying, say ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And this came to the governor's ears. We will persuade him and secure you. In other words, we're going to talk to the governor and make sure that you're not killed for allowing Jesus's body to be taken away. Um, so they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So interestingly here, because of what Peter, because Peter was allowed to escape, look in verse number 19. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. So makes you wonder how God would allow these guards to be killed in exchange for the life of Peter. I don't know that, you know, all I know is that God is sovereign. 
that word sovereign means over all. Um, just as when the children of Israel um, came through certain, uh, um, in the Old Testament, certain regions of people, and God said, you know what, not yet, uh, but later. You know, in other words, their, their, their sins have not risen to the level that they deserve to be destroyed, but they will reach that level later, and I'll use my people to do it. So I can only assume that God is in total control. I don't think a sparrow falls from a tree uh, without God knowing about it. Uh, I believe God's got the hairs on my head numbered, which there's still a little bit there. You can't see it, but um, God is sovereign. In other words, God is in control. Uh, when something happens, when, when a life is taken from us, when an event happens, I, I, I don't believe necessarily that it's the will of God for that to happen. It may be the permissive will of God. In other words, everything happens with God's knowledge. Uh, even though that doesn't mean that was plan A. Uh, a lot of people, uh, I believe there is a plan A and a plan B for each of our lives. We can do it the easy way or the hard, hard way. We can do it the high road or we can do it the low road. <laughs> you know, I think God does have a perfect will. Um, but the, God's perfect will doesn't always happen in this life. Uh, that's why, you know, the prayer, the, the Lord's prayer, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, his will will be done one day, completely 100%. But at the moment, you know, God is still sovereign. Anything that happens is by his permission. So God had these guys in his care and his understanding. And, you know, I, who are we to question what God does? Uh, to question God is to doubt God. Uh, to doubt God is a lack of faith. A lack of faith is sin. So... Um, next time we get together, which will be tomorrow, uh, we will look at uh, the death of Herod and, and we'll be through with chapter number 12. Uh, and then in chapter number 13, we're going to swing back again to Paul and it will stay on Paul except for the Jerusalem Council in chapter number 15. The whole remaining uh, chapters in the book of Acts is about the Apostle Paul. So again, a transition from Peter to Paul, a transition from Jerusalem to Antioch, a transition from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace. So God bless you guys. Good to see you. Uh, hey, Donna, God bless you. Good to see you guys. Hope you have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Lord willing. God bless you. Thank you.